Hey, real quick, would you like to join me for a fun and super practical challenge to increase your online visibility? The Visibility Kickstarter Challenge is hosted by my friend Alina Vincent, who, if you don't know, she is the queen of online challenges. <clears throat> and that means that this is going to be one of the most actionable, value-packed, and fast-to-implement challenges that you have ever been a part of. I recently used her challenge method in my last launch, and it was the most effective challenge we have ever run, and it was easier than any, ever, any challenge we've ever run uh, as well. It is completely free, so if you want to join me, I'll be there. Head over to jenlaner.com forward slash 084 to sign up. And again, that's jenlaner, L-E-H-N-E-R.com forward slash 084. Hey guys, it's Gary Vay, Nerd Chuck, and you're listening to the Front Row Entrepreneur Podcast with our girl, Jen. Our guest today is an online business coach for female entrepreneurs who are so ready to scale their businesses beyond six figures by growing their online following, positioning themselves as a go-to expert, and creating a global online business that helps them make a conscious and heartfelt impact that fulfills and motivates them. She lives in New York City with her partner and loves anything business and online marketing related, especially launches, sales, and funnels, and is honored to be serving and guiding female online entrepreneurs from all over the world. Welcome to the Front Row Entrepreneur Podcast, Mel Farr. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here because I have a lot of questions for you. And as far as I'm concerned, you know everything about everything as it relates to online business and marketing, and I bow down at your feet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I today, really hope I can live up to this. <laughs> uh, you you totally could live up to this because because I, I know all the genius that is inside that noggin of yours. But today, what I, I really want to zoom in on launching, if that's okay with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm right. Right. I could talk about launching forever. Okay. All right. What is the biggest mistake entrepreneurs make when they go to launch an online group program or course, do you think? I actually think there are two. The first one is kind of like a meta level mistake. It's just the approach. And that is that I see a lot of online entrepreneurs decide spontaneously because we all are creative beings that they're going to launch next week. Have you ever seen this? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and so they, they're like, you know what? I got this idea after I meditated. I'm putting this out <laughs> next week. And it's, you know, it, it may even be an offer that when they speak about it is very conceptual. And so we're not really clear on what the value prop is and the specific benefits or even exactly who this is for. And I've even seen advanced entrepreneurs try to pull something off like this. Back in the days of like, I mean, you're going to know I'm, I'm a young, <laughs> I'm a baby entrepreneur still in the grand scheme of things, but I'm going to take us all the way back to 2015, which is not that long oh, ago. Not that long ago. Right? And, and even then, their entrepreneurs have been along a lot longer than I have who are starting to say, you know, launching online is different than it was before. But even in 2015, you could probably slap something together a week before and maybe you could pull off a six-figure, multi-six-figure launch. You know, people mm -hmm. were doing it. But that's the biggest mistake I see is just 
not understanding when you see entrepreneurs out here who are doing multi six figure or seven figure launches, they have a runway and they are prepping before that launch. And my team and I, if I do say so, are fantastic at this. We lean back during launches. We don't have a lot of urgent things going on. We have planned in advance and we know how the campaign is rolling out. In fact, we have most of our materials done so that we have bandwidth to go ahead and pivot if something needs to to change. So that's one thing. And the second thing is they just don't build their audience. I always tell people before launches, you have to reverse engineer the outcome you want to arrive at when your cart closes. And so if you're trying to draw blood from a stone by saying, I want a hundred people in this program. And you're like, well, you know, I've got about a thousand people on my list. And plus I have a Facebook group and there's a couple of people following me on Instagram. So surely, you know, I can arrive at this. And then I'm like, well, it depends, you know, maybe you can pull the outreach lever and you have quite a few relationships of people who are sitting there ready to go from your past life or your past career, or even your current career. Nothing's impossible, but I like to keep it really real. And I do some math that sometimes causes my clients to feel almost a little deflated. So I'm not for everyone, but I would rather be conservative at the beginning and have my clients walk away and say, wow, I hit my goal or came very close or even exceeded it, then set them up and said, yeah, you know, get a hundred people into a 5k program with a thousand people on your list. But most of the time, you really have to say, okay, if I want to build my list to 2,500 people because I want to get, you know, 20 or 25 people into my mid level program, then that means, you know, I need to build it by this many per month, this many per week, this many per day. If I'm going to use ad spend, I'm going to spend about this, which means my budget is this, which leaves me at a profit margin of this. And people get overwhelmed quickly, but it's not hard and it's not rocket science. It's just do the math first. And then all the work that everyone puts into a launch anyway will actually pay off. Do you have a formula that you use, just sort of a basic formula where you're like people who who sign up yes. for the launch and then how many you need to, how yes. many you need at the time? Okay. Could you share that formula with us? So here's the thing I will say, yeah. <laughs> back in the olden days, which are not that olden for me, <laughs> you know, a lot of people would tote around the stat that about 1% of your list would enroll into a high level program, something that's Mm -hmm. probably over $1,000, $2,000, right? Mm -hmm. And then let's say if it's more in like the 497 to 997 range, maybe you're looking at two to 3% of your list. (sighs) You know, in 2015, when I first launched my signature group program, I actually, by the end of the year, launching it three times, converted 1.12% of my list, which was fantastic because it was $3,000 the first time I launched it in 2015 and five grand when I launched it the last time. So those are great numbers for a really Mm -hmm. high level investment for a group program. As the years went on, there's a couple things that happen. As your list gets bigger into thousands upon thousands of people, I find that those numbers don't always hold quite as well. And the other big change we've seen is email deliverability because of things like GDPR and privacy laws, which I'm actually, Mm -hmm. you know, really um, in line with. I think privacy is important. And sometimes as online entrepreneurs, we get roped into some of the, the things that email service providers put in place to protect against spam when we're not really spam. And so 
as the years have gone on in email marketing and, and more people have been used to being sold to in their inboxes, all these email providers like Gmail, they want to protect their user base. So they're stricter on privacy. That means that your email could be marked as spam and not even get to the inbox. And no, it's not the fault of your CRM like Infusionsoft or anything else. The point mm-hmm. of this being that these numbers have changed. What I look for, because I have a larger list, I'm not looking at my overall list size anymore. And there's a lot of gurus who are still doing this. It's kind of like the bigger the list, the better. But this is really old thinking today. What I would say is, you look at maybe only emailing people who have engaged in 90 days. So I may have 45,000 people on my list that are technically marketable, but the people who are engaging may only be like 19,000. So I'm not looking for 1% from 42,000. I'm looking for 1% from 19,000, right? So what I'm getting at is you need to understand if you have a healthy list and make your numbers off that. And even with that, I start to be really conservative because I like to hit my goals, which means I'll go for half a percent of those, those people, right. That I want to convert into a high level offer. And then all I do is do the math backward. Okay. Well, if I want a hundred people in the program, then, you know, half a percent of that is going to be, you know, however many people. And then you say, okay, how long is it going to take me to get my list to that size? And you do the math on how much you would have to spend. And, you know, maybe some of you listening have, um, like a kick-ass, SEO going on, or maybe you have a great YouTube channel that gets you organic leads. And that's fantastic as well. I kind of use organic strategies and paid spend, but obviously paid spend is a hell of a lot faster. So in 90 days, you know, if I need to build my list by 10, 15,000 people, I can spend the money and do it. I have a validated offer. I know I'm going to crush it. I don't know if that was a perfect formula, but, or if I just, no, no, we got it. Nope, nope, nope. That was, that was good. And especially I love the conservative part. I'm the same way. I would much rather like I would much rather be conservative so I hit my goal as opposed to making some ridiculous claim, you know, based on nothing or based on unrealistic numbers. But here's a question. So with your list of 45,000 or a list of 45,000, and let's say you do a lot of list building prior to the launch and you do it with um, one of the things you do is maybe a PDF and you grow the list, you grow the list, you grow the list. As the days go by, still, let's say you only have like those 19,000 that are clicking. Mm -hmm. Do you, throughout your launch, segment out and only focus on those 19,000 at that point? Are you still emailing to the whole list? Good question. Um, you know, it's true. When you go to list build, it's a, we always don't know what we don't know. And sometimes when you build your list, the numbers don't hold in your CRM according to like a pixel because, um, you know, people use different email addresses, they may continue to opt in. It's not perfect science about excluding your list when you're trying to get new cold leads, right? And then people mm-hmm. opt out. So the whole thing about me emailing only people who have opened the last 90 days, this actually is something we started in the last quarter, I think it was of 2018. Oh, no, maybe it was, maybe it was, a, maybe it was halfway through 2019 when we started to get a lot stricter because we noticed our open rates going down. You would be shocked. People with lists of like 250,000 or 300,000, they get like 4%, 3% open rates if they're not doing what we're doing, but they won't cut their lists. It's insanity. It's just ridiculous. Because there's that sunk cost mentality. It's like, oh my God, I spent $3 a lead, you know, multiply that by 200,000. Yeah. But the problem is I don't worry too much if my list is still at 19,000. Because the the point is, if I hadn't taken this approach, it would be maybe at 12 or 15. I mean, I'm throwing out kind of random numbers, but my point being that if I hadn't been strict like this, then I would have a smaller list 
that was a lot less healthy or a bigger list with a fraction of the open rate. And what's happening today is that carrying that dead weight around, if listen, if people are not opening your emails in 90 days, they're not going to buy from you. There is no chance, virtually no chance. And I know this because we send re-engagement email sequences to our list and we get a 2% mm. open rate. And we've mm. never had a sale go through this and we've tested it for the last 18 months, which is plenty of time in the online world to know that they're never going to open. But you know what they do? The email service providers like Gmail and Outlook and Yahoo, they look at how many people are reading those emails from your CRM and they say, huh, not very many people are interested in this. I don't want people to hate opening up Yahoo or Gmail. I'm not going to let their emails get through, even to the people who have been opening. So that dead weight, not only lowers, it, it lowers your open rate, even from the people who want to be getting your emails. So this is what's interesting. Our open rate had fallen to 11% in 2019. Now we're in 2020. I've got a 26% open rate again during a campaign I'm doing right now. And I never would have probably gotten over 12. Wow. And it's because we've done this for the last four months. Right? Okay. So let me get this straight. You're you're looking and you're saying, okay, every 90 days you're gonna go in and scrub your list. And like, do you you I mean, are you deleting the people? I delete after six months. Oh my god. If people I only email people like let's say I'm in the middle of a campaign right now, our current campaign for the most part is going to people who have engaged in the last 90 days, right? Because those are the only people who are going to buy. When you look at that small Mm. percentage of 1%, do you think that those one percenters are the people who aren't opening? Never. They never are. But in that percentage of people, that 1%, they are openers. But if dead weight doesn't let the emails get through to the the 1%, then you're in trouble, right? So I only send the campaigns for the most part to the 90-day openers. I hack after six months because what we will do in a six-month, in the second 90 days is we might send two of our most important emails with our best subject lines to the whole list just to see, are these people going to open? And what we found is for the most part, they don't. But we hack after six months because every once in a while, you get a few people who do open, you know, who have just been doing whatever life has happened, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really how we go about it. And then I don't stress too much. I mean, I, I do my numbers more than most people anyway. So I know that technically I want to go for adding, you know, this many thousands of people. I understand I'm going to, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to net those new subscribers because others are going to opt out. I'm fine with that. I actually don't stress that much because I only like to look at a couple KPIs key performance indicators at a time that let me know whether something's working or not. And if it, if my big KPIs are working, like if I'm getting a good ROI on this launch, why would I go and look at more details if I'm happy? I I don't like getting bogged down in details because solopreneurs do that already and they look at all the wrong things. So if my list is growing, if my open rates are good, if, if I'm looking at the percentage of engaged and I'm thinking, yep, I can hit my goal and I'm getting a good ROI, I don't really care about anything else because I know my practices are already really smart. Okay, that makes total sense. All right, let's get back to this runway situation. So if if yeah. one of the biggest mistakes that people make is just jumping out unprepared, what would you say are the top three things that you do to prep for a successful online launch? Exactly. Okay, so the first thing is I need to make sure that I'm putting out a must-have offer. I know that marketing is all about testing and seeing what works. I totally get that. But... If I'm going to launch, I make sure that I have an offer where people are saying, oh my God, I need that when I tell them what it is. Or when I even say the title, 
it is really all in the title. <laughs> it really is a lot mm-hmm. of the time for people. So if I don't have a validated offer already, then I pull my audience. You know, I go talk to the people on my list or on social media. I could even go to some really quick market research by following another influencer who has my same target market and just seeing what mm-hmm. people are saying they want. I mean, it's not that hard, but you can get out there and you can start to hear their language about like, this is what people are talking about all the time. This is what they need. And if you know your target audience, great. So before I launched my flagship program, U to U, I talked to 30 women. I surveyed 15 in a order for, in like a form and I talked to mm-hmm. 15 women on the phone and I never did that again because I got a 10 out of 10 on what people wanted because I'm always putting my ear to the ground and I'm really big on the language I speak. So that's number one. Make sure you have a must-have offer. Otherwise, this is not worth putting the work in to do a launch. The second thing, reverse engineer those numbers. And then the other big thing I would say is have some kind of launch trigger. Now, this is done a lot of different ways. You know, there's a lot of people who have their own original launch plans. And mine is something I kind of made up. I I don't have something that's like a Jeff Walker approach or anything else. What I do is right like three weeks out from when my cart is going to open, I do one challenge. It's usually like a five-day challenge. Then I take a week off. Then I do do one more five-day challenge. And then the next week I open my cart. You don't have to do it this way, but I have some kind of pre-launch content that clocks a lot of time with my audience to turn them into raving fans who really see the value and trust me before I open that cart while seeding what's coming up. I don't offer on any of those challenges, not anything, but I funnel them from one thing to the next. So by the time the cart opens, no one is surprised this offer is coming, but the trust is gigantically built. So I'd say those are the three things. Are you, do you, when you do those challenges, do you typically have a, um, accompanying uh, pop-up pop-up group or is it or is it just all email based <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm like kind of lazy I'm not a perfectionist about that I actually actually no this is strategic I don't do a pop-up group even though I, I don't think those are a bad idea at all some of my clients that I that use my launch strategy they do pop-up groups which which can be great there's pros and cons to both I have a really large Facebook group it's coming up on about 30,000 31,000 women right now so when I do any kind of launch or content it's really cool because if they're not really engaged with me from my list. And if Facebook ad retargeting is not getting them engaged in the challenge, then they may stumble upon it in the group. So I have a few different ways that people can stumble into the challenge. And to be honest, I don't really care how they come in because it's just about building trust and spreading the word that this offer is coming up. Awesome. Okay. Well, you've talked a lot about funnels as well and how creating a launch is a great way of creating assets for a future funnel. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Totally. So I have a sales course called Master Your Money Conversations. Mm -hmm. And back in April of 2015, that was its birth. That's its birthday. I launched that live once. Now, in order to have a good launch, I created a few things. I created a webinar. I created a sales page. I had sales emails. I had some ad copy. And then when I ran that program live, I created modules and I had teachings that I recorded. Now think about that. I ran that live. And in the process, I profited and I validated an offer that, to be honest, has, I mean, I'm sure, I think at this point, you know, without working that hard on selling that offer, it's probably brought in a half a million in revenue for me over the last few years. And that's just one offer that I have. But just by validating that offer once and launching it live, 
Then when the time came, I realized, gosh, look at all the stuff I have. I have the modules. I have the trainings. I actually have it hosted on my membership site already. I've already got a sales page. I have a ton of testimonials I've collected. I have a webinar that I can spruce up. And I even have sales emails I can go back to. It just is really nice that when you launch live, if you can pull off a good launch live, you can pull off a good evergreen funnel. And it's not that you can't create a great evergreen funnel without having launched live. But the thing about the way I do business is I like you know, to be conservative and to be able to say with a lot of confidence, I know that this is a good offer and I know that this works. It doesn't mean it can't be optimized or or improved, but I have proven that people want this. Now, over time, this program was born back in 2015, right? And now we're in 2020. And so consumers' demands do change. No funnel, you know, escapes the shelf life issue. No offer is in demand always, but I tend to know the offers I make that are pretty timeless. And I will tell you that most entrepreneurs will always and forever want to be better at sales, right? Mm -hmm. And so now I have all these assets built for my live launch. When it was time to create my evergreen funnel, I kind of put it all together, but I didn't have to start from scratch. Does that play into what you call your client pathway, capital C, capital P? Sure. So client pathway is my word for business model, just so anyone listening knows. But I like to call my business model a client pathway because I literally think about my clients coming into, you know, like my lane, you know, my path, and then continuing to walk that path with me as our trust builds and as their needs continue to arise, I'm there to answer the next thing. So for example, when you talk about client pathway, how does this evergreen funnel for my sales course or this launch for Master Your Money Conversations, how does it play in my pathway? Well, it's one of my lower level offers, which means that it comes early along, earlier along the pathway than perhaps a higher level offer like one-on-one or a high level mastermind or my group program that was five grand, right? It doesn't mean that people have to take that course before they're ready to go into a higher level offer, but it means they can. And I know the different offers that are possible for my clients along the pathway, whether they jump from one level to a next or they go straight through. So think about it this way. I have an automated webinar for that Master Your Money Conversations course. Now that's like one of my easiest offers. It's free. Just come listen to a webinar. If they jump to my next level, they could say yes to Master Your Money Conversations, the course. And when people said yes to the course in my Evergreen Funnel, I even bonus them a ticket to my live event, which I saw as a higher level commitment up on the pyramid beyond on the pathway. So they'd come to my event, then I'd offer my 5K program or my $18,000 mastermind, and they'd say yes to this. I have so many clients that literally are like, I said yes to your challenge. I said yes to your webinar. I said yes to one of your courses. Now I'm in your live program. Now I'm in your mastermind. Now I've renewed your mastermind. So that literally is understanding that I'm not just throwing out any offer or any funnel to be a standalone thing. It is strategically tied into the pathway. Any client who is ideal for me can continue to walk along and that gives me, you know, uh, a lifetime value for a customer that is much larger than maybe the average entrepreneur who's kind of not integrating all of their offers into one thing and thinking of them as different things people can say yes to along a pathway. And if you're really, really good at knowing who your, your people are, then you're fantastic at continuing to say, oh, I know what they're going to want next. And here's the offer for that along the pathway. 
But for the pathway to work, at least as far as the way you've done it so far, Mm -hmm. launching is essential, right? But a lot of people are really like these days, there's this whole movement of like, stop launching. Launching is, Mm. you know, launching doesn't work. Launching isn't the way that it used to be. What do you, or it's saturated. What do you say to those, those people? I mean, there's no denying that there's the, that the launching has changed and there's no denying that there's more people who are trying to run online businesses, right. Or even what we spoke Mm -hmm. about earlier in online marketing, there's no denying Mm -hmm. that there's more sales emails that everybody gets. That Mm -hmm. is true. So, you know, I, I'm not going to be that person who's like, nothing's changed. It still works, you know, and like kind of hammer ahead. But I think that the fact is that, you know, if there's less people who are wanting to launch, that's great for me. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> the cream will rise to the top. Right, right. That's what will happen. But the fact is, hasn't that always been true about business and marketing? You know, every strategy yeah. works until it gets trickier. But people who are innovators and know how to solve problems, they know how to keep doing something better and better and better and better. So you could say the same thing about anything. You could say the same thing about funnels and automation that people think are really sexy. You could say the same thing about launches. You could say the same thing about one-on-one coaching. I mean, business goes through cycles and it's not about one single strategy. It's about becoming a strategist. So Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now that in 2018 and 2019, you know, let's look at 2017, right? Where people were starting to say launching doesn't work anymore. I had 73 women who signed up for my flagship 5k program. In 2018, I had 130. And in 2019, I had 120. Pretty comparable numbers, which means that the last two years I've had the best launches in the last six years of being an online business owner using a launch. Now, do I innovate my strategies? Oh, hell yes. One of the reasons I can still keep launching is I you know, I also integrated a live event. So I had a live event that then went into an online launch. So that is a different strategy. But guess what? I used to launch three times a year and now I do the double the amount of enrollments in one launch. So you just can't sit there and be complacent and say like, oh, well, this doesn't work anymore because maybe the way you were launching doesn't work anymore. But you're an entrepreneur and you're creative, which means do everything a little bit better every time until you don't want to launch an offer anymore. And totally transparent, after five years, I've launched my UDU program eight times. I've had almost 500 women go through it. I've worked with beginners for a lot of years, and now I'm over it. I, now, sure. as you said in my bio, I love to work on scaling. So I'm launching something different. But my campaign right now is working. I have sales coming in just today before you know this offer, and it's a live launch. So it's more about you saying, like, how do you like to enroll clients? Because there's not just one right strategy, but there may be a few right ones for you. I love it. I am curious, and I'm sure our listeners are curious, the people who aren't already um, familiar with you, about your journey. I want to know, like, how... How quickly were you able to get to a $100,000 launch? And how did you like get started sure. in the online It was space? fast and not fast at all. When I was 25, I'm 36 now. Oh, wait, no, shoot. I'm turning 36 in a week. Sorry. <laughs> I like literally can't remember how old I am. At 25, I think that was 2009. I moved to New York City. My mother was terrified. I was like, I'm going to start my own business, mom. And she was like, what are you doing? (laughs) So I had been, I graduated college like two years before. 
I lived in Boston for two years and I was a personal trainer at a club and I moved up to a management position pretty quickly. And then, you know, me being who I was, was like, I'm going to go start my own personal training business. I always wanted to live in New York city. I'll, I'll just go do it. And I did, you know, I, I kind of like hauled my buns around Manhattan and managed to get clients like all in the same high rise building. And I mean, I don't know how I supported myself because I made $33,000 my first year in New York. I had a lot of credit cards and I put a lot of groceries back on the shelf. It was very stressful, (laughs) but probably still pretty privileged in the grand scheme of things. So I spent the first five years meandering from one thing to another. Personal trainer in person, personal trainer online virtually via Skype, life coach, health coach, sex coach, business coach. I know you're probably like, what is happening? Um, I'm not (laughs) a perfectionist. I just decide what I want to help people do. And then I start doing it. And no, I don't have any certifications. And yes, I've been criticized for claiming to be an expert too soon. And to be honest, I don't really care because my clients have always gotten great results. And I just don't hem and haw, which is why I make money no matter what I do. So when I decided to be a sex coach, I had my first five-figure month four months in because I just was like, okay, I want to do this now. And this is something important to me. And when I kind of healed some of my own personal wounds, what happened at September of 2014 is that a ton of women were coming to me and they were like, what are you doing? How are you making money no matter what you do and what's going on? And the one skill that I had managed to really master throughout all those different businesses was sales. It's that I could speak to the value of what, of the, the knowledge in, that I had in any one particular thing. And so I also realized that I have always been obsessed with strategy. That's why I like launches and funnels and business. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I could strategize all day long. And so I was like, oh, I'm good at sales. I'm good at strategy. Like, okay, well, I'm going to start teaching other women about businesses because even though I'm kind of a bizarre person who's meandered like a weirdo, I clearly can help other women speak to the value and really own the fact that we have gifts and we can own our worth. And so that is still to this day, like my biggest mission about women feeling financially empowered and not feeling ashamed for asking for payment when you make an offer. That was my first, I would say five years from 2009 to 2014. And I had a very piecemeal, like I made $103,000 in September uh, in 2014, but it was from like all those different things mixed together. And I was Mm -hmm. miserable. If I didn't have personal training clients in person, then I, and I tried to go on vacation, I wasn't making money and I wasn't fully online. And I was working with like life coaching, sex coaching, like all these different things at once. So I was like, it was kind of miserable. And then September of 2014, when I I was like, I'm going to do the business coaching thing. My dream for years has has been to move completely online. And that is when I went for it. And I was like, sales is my thing. And I'm a business coach. I'm going to differentiate myself by being like a specialist in the sales category, even though I can do other things so that I don't look like everybody else. And it didn't work for about five months. I only booked one sales call a month. One was even with a aerial trapeze artist, which I think is amazing. Although I was like, Mm -hmm. why am I attracting an aerial trapeze artist? I don't know (laughs) how to help this person. So clearly I was doing things wrong. And then finally in March, I had my first $20,000 month. April was zero. Oh no. Yeah. May was, I can't remember. June 31, July 41, August 68. And then I did my first group program launch September of 2015. It was 147 and I finished 2015 at $311,000. And the next year I did seven figures. I remember all those numbers because it was one of 
the craziest years of my life where I finally had to buckle down, do one thing, and finally get really good at it. And I was in the struggle bus from September of 2014 to February of 2015. And it was probably the hardest time I've ever had as an entrepreneur. But then the second year you hit seven figures? Yeah, because the year I did after that. Yes, because this is what's crazy. I was on struggle bus, couldn't book sales calls. When I did, they were both aerial trapeze artists. And so finally, <laughs> you know, I like, I, that's when I started to realize, like, I have to differentiate yourself, myself. And so I offered assessments, master your money conversation assessments. I'm like, get on the phone with me for 20 minutes. The first 10 minutes, you tell me exactly what you're doing to try to make the sale on the call. And I will tell you in the next 10 minutes, exactly what you're missing. And I converted 90% of people who did that assessment into a sales conversation. And not all my sales conversations converted, but basically I made that offer in March and booked over 20 of them in March. And then four of them converted into a $5,000 coaching program. And that was my first 20K month. And what happened is that by the time we got to September, when I had my $147,000 month, I had raised my prices up to, I think, $12,000 for the same package. No changes, just the price. Mm -hmm. And so in combination of one-on-one and my first launch of my UDU signature program, that was my 147K launch. But I had 25 one-on-one clients because I'd gotten so good at just that one-on-one revenue stream, which was my goal. I'm very good at being a horse with blinders and doing one thing well and then adding on. But I had to start launching earlier because I couldn't take more one-on-one clients. So then in 2016, the way I got to seven figures, I did that September launch that I'd done three times, January, May, and September of next year. And then of course I had other one-on-one clients and I did like little launches. So there were a few different things that made up that um, seven figures the next year. But how did you handle 25 one-on-one clients? Like how, I mean, that's the part. (laughs) I guess I was like really fiery and young because I'd been poor for so long. I was like, this is great. This is great (laughs) until it's not great. I mean, I basically would start sessions from nine until five with like little 15 minute breaks because I do 45 minute sessions. And I did that Mm -hmm. like Tuesday through Thursday and not every client scheduled every week, but I was so, you have to, you know, we all understand this as entrepreneurs. How exciting Mm -hmm. is it when you've been making no money in a new business and then all of a sudden it works and it works better than you even expected. It's really exciting. And then after a few months go by, you're like, oh shit, all I was thinking about was making money. And now that I have, now I have to start thinking about my quality of life and how I run my business and my systems. And I'm good at focusing on one thing and mastering it. And so I kind of got to this point where I was like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. And that's when I did the launch and, and, you know, I stopped taking, I think In 2016, I still had a handful of one-on-one clients, but by 2017, I only worked with two one-on-one clients that whole year. And I was like, this is amazing because I had leveraged. I'd learned how to master my my UDU flagship launch. So it sucked for a little while, but did it suck that I had a multi-six-figure business with a 47% profit margin in 2017? No, it did not suck. Yeah, that's my favorite kind of sucking. Yeah, me too. So, okay, this was great. I know that every one of our listeners are like, okay, I want more of her. I want more of her. So you guys, I asked Mel before we started and she said the best place for us to get more of her trainings, all her best stuff is to go to 
Melissa Farr, and that's spelled P-H-A-R-R. So Melissa, P-H-A-R-R.com forward slash Instagram. Also, of course, I'm going to put all all the stuff on the show notes page at jenlaner.com slash, I think it's zero five zero. If that doesn't work, try jenlaner.com slash five zero. Anyway, Mel, thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with us. And I'm going to run over to this, to this link right away. Cause I got to get some more, got to get some more of this. <laughs> totally. And yeah, definitely enjoy that link. If you follow me on Instagram, like at Melissa underscore far, it is just the link in my bio is the same page, melissafar.com forward slash Instagram. And you're just going to find like all of my trainings that kind of go into my nerd dumb. Um, so yeah, enjoy any of that stuff. I try to make all my free content as juicy as possible. So yeah, I'm, I'm really honored to be here by the way, Jen, thank you so much. Like nerding out about anything strategy is always my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved it. Thanks Mel. See you soon.